All right, so it is um, Thursday evening, July 27th, mm-hmm. and I'm here in Villa Park with Jim and Joan. Joan is my last interview for the project, and uh, so we've been talking a little bit about the parameters and so forth, and we'll go ahead and get started. So we'll start, uh, Joan, with uh, what you think has been the biggest difference in your life or in the world for you uh, since your childhood. And I've had plenty of time to think about this because of your email and, you know, you told us what you would ask. And I, I believe the biggest change has been the loss of reading. And um, I know, uh, obviously, schools teach differently than when I was in school. It's been a long, long time. <laughs> but I can remember the delight I would feel riding my bike into town, going to the Helen M. Plum Library. Yes. Which was a beautiful old Victorian-style house when I was first reading. And I could take out as many books as I could carry and bring them home and read them. And I couldn't wait to go and get more books. Just couldn't wait. Yeah. I couldn't wait to teach my little brother how to read. I, that that's little, one of my favorite memories. That little ever. brother was? You. Kevin. Okay. Kevin, yes. <laughs> um, loved that. Um, and I also remember because um, being in the middle of the group, I know that my perspective is different from, well, we all have different perspectives. Sure. We have 12 different points of view. But when... Patricia was starting to read and could go to the library. She had to bring her books home and put them on Dad's dresser for him to read and make sure they were okay for her to read. No kidding. And once he gave his permission, then she could take the books and read them. By the time it got to me, they were just glad I was getting on my bike, getting out of the house, and reading something, anything. Go ahead. Go. And so, and even into school, and especially in high school, we had, um, Jim and I were in a a gifted class together, so our history teacher was phenomenal. Our English teacher was just excellent, and so lots of different books to to be read. Yeah. And um, lots of discussions about them, and by the time Jim was finished with his teaching career, the kids would say, well, I never read books. Yeah. Now, they do a lot of reading online. I am absolutely certain. It doesn't, you know, they're not saying that they don't know how to read. But I don't think they're just loving reading for the fifth time To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. Or A Farewell to Arms because Ernest Hemingway talked about having sex. Oh, my God. <laughs> In the book right there. <laughs> Which it leads me to another story. Lila um, went to the same high school as Hemingway. I don't think they were in the same class, but they were there concurrently. Mm-hmm. And she would say that he was a dirty boy. He was a dirty boy. <laughs> a dirty boy. He wrote dirty books. Oh, yeah. Because right. he wrote about things like sex. Which made me want to read that book. Well, how <laughs> bad could it be, Lila? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. But I think it has given a different tenor to our existence. And I've enjoyed reading so many books. And things that I missed when I was working full-time and living life, as we all do, I didn't have time to read the way I wanted to. And so now I have a two-page list of recommended books from wow. recommended from friends and family. And, oh, you've got to read this author. And I just, I love going to the library and holding a book and reading the book. I know you could get them on Kindle. It's not the same to me. I like the smell of the paper and the ink. I think it's being a lithographer's daughter. I love the texture (laughs) of the pages. I love to see beautiful illustrations if they're done well in a book. 
you can recognize it. I mean, I would point out to dad sometimes, dad, look at that yellow is bleeding out of that line. They, it's like they didn't get the ink right. He said, no, they didn't get the ink right. Yeah. And, you know, good catch there. Um, you spotted it. Yeah. But I, I think that is something that as a society, it's a shame to have lost it. It's not gone. Right. Children still learn how to read, but I, I wish that there could be more of it. I would maintain not only is every word you just said true, I would also maintain that um, there's a loss, or, or for me, there's going to be a loss. It won't be probably a, as significant as what you're talking about. Uh, but newspapers are in big trouble. Yes. And I still take my newspaper every morning and sit down and, and read through it. We know? do too. I told Jim just before we retired, I said one of the things I'm looking forward to the most, we used to just subscribe for a Sunday Tribune. Oh, okay. I want to get the paper every stinking day. I go down and do my workout, swim for an hour, do all of that stuff, make my bed. I still hear Harriet, make your bed or I'm calling school. Um, and then I have breakfast and I read the paper, cover to cover. I love it. Yeah. But I do notice that the Tribune does not have editors who are very good. Uh. Misspelled words, poor punctuation, yeah. dangling participles right and left. And... Um, so I complain about it every time. Clearly, they need to hire Katie, but yeah, no, they she haven't could, hired her She yet. could straighten them out. <laughs> uh, I wonder if, um, if, they will, if they'll study this. Uh, you and I agreed that we like the experience of actually holding a physical book in front of us and reading and turning pages, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you pointed out there, of course, are, well, they used to call them books on tape. Now they're not taped anymore, but recorded books. Yes. Audio books. Yeah. Um, so the material is still delivered to your brain. We can say that for sure. The, the written material, the written word is still delivered to your brain. But I don't know if you're, cons as, as the consumer of that material, if your experience is significantly different, having read one with a physical paper and ink book mm -hmm. compared to a recorded book. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. And I have read, I have read <laughs> studies that show that children learn in different ways. There are auditory learners. Sure. There are visual learners. There are tactile learners mm -hmm. and I'm definitely a visual learner I need to be able to picture it um, in order for it to be processed so for me seeing the print on the page makes a difference now we also have access online to the chicagotribune.com yeah, so and the entire that. paper is there every day but it's not the same when I open the paper and I'm reading it I may see a headline on on the page and I just skip right by it but then I'll see another headline and say oh I didn't know that was going to be in there I didn't go looking for it it I just happened upon it uh -huh. visually that that's how I learn and you don't it's not the same when it's electronic it yeah. just isn't the same for me you mentioned the Kindle and Barb one year bought me a very thoughtful Christmas gift of a new Kindle reader and uh, they're super cool they're really neat and it's inexpensive to get new books and, and they're always there and you can, and I started, I got about not even halfway through one book and I, I just, I couldn't feel, I couldn't feel the experience the same way. Yeah. So unfortunately we returned to that. It was a wonderful gift, but it didn't, yeah. it didn't speak to me, so to speak. Uh, okay. So the, so the lack of, uh, of or the, the loss or the, the diminishing uh, level of, I wouldn't even say literacy because as you pointed out, the literacy can still be there. It's just not, not going to be. Right. And, uh, and perhaps because of that, maybe there is a, a, a I'm, I'm going to say falling off, there's a better word, but I can't remember it right now, uh, of 
the amount of reading that people do. Mm -hmm. I will say as a uh, high school English teacher, I was surprised that there are still a good number of kids who actually do like reading books. So that's, that's encouraging. That's hopeful. I I don't think there's much doubt that, that it is less common than it was when when you were a kid. So that answers, that answers the first question pretty well. But I do have one more point. Okay. Yeah. So now Jim and I have downsized. We're living in a, a condominium and in a building that has it, it isn't an age-restricted building, but um, we are some of the younger residents here at, ah, at 70 years of age. You're, you're the kids. And I was delighted as I've met different people in the building, and I had a double knee replacement shortly after we moved in here. And one of our older neighbors brought over a stack of books and said, you got to have some sexy books to read while you're, while you're recuperating because you can't do anything. <laughs> You gotta have some sexy books to read. And who's the one for the money, two for the show? There's an author who has done different books. Oh, it's a woman, Vi Warshawski, I think, has has written those. I could be mistaken, but um, they're just hysterical. Yeah, and I I love finding a new author when a friend, and it can be somebody considerably older than me, and you don't expect to hear that come out of old people don't know about sex. Oh my God, no, they never (laughs) have it. We were all immaculately conceived. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a great story. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, there's a good segue. We'll go, we'll go into the next phase of the interview, which is to say uh, that we'd love to hear a couple of stories that you think maybe, maybe many or most of us, it doesn't necessarily have to be every single yeah. one of us, um, might not have heard before. Well, I'll, I'll share the one you, we had just been talking before you started recording, that Mom and Bob used to butt heads quite a bit. Dad and, Ma- <laughs> and Bob. Everybody in Bob. <laughs> but what is that? Janet Ivanovich. Thank you. That's who did the one for the money. Oh, okay. Good, good, um, good. Anyway, but I think Bob never realized that mom was very similar to him in personality. Wow. She and her dad especially, and her mother too, butted heads a lot. She was much more independent than they thought was proper for her. <laughs> I think some of it, Kevin, had to do with the fact that grandpa's younger brother, um, Archer uh, was a little boy. He was six years old. He was hit by a train and died. Oh, And yeah. he had been with his mother. And I think after that happened, she just couldn't protect children enough. Yeah. So mom had said she felt very constricted. She couldn't cross the street. She couldn't go off her block. Mm. And she felt so suffocated by that that um, she wanted more freedom. And I think that was some of the butt headbutting that happened but um, she did share a story with me one time I I knew what was going on with Bob he just wanted to you know have these adventures she had asked to be excused from class one day I have no idea how old she was she had to go to the bathroom so the teacher let her out and she went to the bathroom and instead of opening the door when she was finished and washing her hands going back to class she left the door latched the 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 what you know i'm trying to draw the picture where the toilet is yeah yeah the stall door (laughs) the stall door she left it locked and crawled underneath to get out and then did the same thing whether it was four stalls or five stalls in this bathroom she when she left the bathroom all of the doors were locked from the inside (laughs) harriet you little (laughs) and she was stunned you know minutes after she got back to to her classroom the janitor showed up at the door and called her out in the hallway and I don't know if she had to go in and unlock all of them because he was so ticked off mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, I got a kick out of that so she was busted she was busted 
Definitely. Justice was served. <laughs> and then Bob, as you pointed out, Joan, then went on to a, a, a Hall of Fame career in the Catholic schools of, <laughs> of causing, and, and, uh, causing and, and perpetuating all kinds of mischief and mayhem. Yeah. And I, um, being in the middle of the family, I was able to observe a lot of behavior of the older kids to know the lay of the land. And I did learn that you can, if you keep under the radar, you can get away with a lot. So you tried to stay under the radar. I tried to stay under the radar. I was not a perfect kid. There Wait. were plenty of things that, that I did that I probably shouldn't have done, but I stayed under the, the radar. radar. So you, you uh, and but, but you, <laughs> you reaped the, the wisdom of the, the screw-ups of your older brothers. Well, the painful experiences yeah. that they had taught me. But And this is not new. I'm sure all, all of us have heard this story, but Mom's deal in the morning was make your bed before you leave for school, yeah. or I will call the school. And I had a perfect example in Bob. Not once, more than once, he didn't make his bed, and sure as shit, she, <laughs> she called the school, Sister Judith, please send Bob Beverly home, and announced it over the loudspeaker, yeah. Bob Beverly, go home and make your bed. And when it happened the first time, that was note to self for me, right. okay, so she, she means it. Even if you just throw the blankets up towards the pillow, the bed is made. And he did it more than once. And I thought, Bob, you're not the brightest bulb on this Christmas tree here. Well, it's... Uh, Do you think she, she won't follow? She doesn't just, make idle threats. Right. It's not an idle threat. And, and I observed, Joan, when you were telling me that story, that I bet you Bob figured, okay, she did it. She proved her point. Now she'll, now she'll back off. But yep. no, Mom, if, if nothing else, Mom was tenacious. Yeah. And consistent. Consistent, which is good. Yeah. So if I do it for one, I have to do it for Go all for and all of yeah, those yeah, things. Yeah. So, okay, so stories you may not have heard. You know that I make Scottish shortbread at Christmas sure. every year, and, and everybody loves, or they tell me they do. Yeah, yeah well, I think they do because they right. keep asking for more. But do you know why it's shortbread? And not something else? Because it's only an inch thick? <laughs> no. Um, one year for Christmas, I had remembered Dad always talking very fondly about his mother's fruitcake. Oh, and she would make it, and Dad would tell the story. She made the fruitcake, wrapped it in cheesecloth, set it in the pantry, and she would drizzle brandy over it. Wow. And so this one Christmas, it was shortly after we were married, I thought, I'm going to make that fruitcake for Dad. He loved his mother. Grandma Beverly was dead before I was born, oh, or okay. shortly after I was born. I don't remember her. Yeah. But he told this story so many times. So I made a fruitcake. And I wrapped it in cheesecloth. I had a little Rubbermaid container with a lid. I thought that'll keep it from, you know. Yeah. So I would take the bottle of brandy, and there's no visual here, but glug, 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 oh. glug. I'd pour it over that every day for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> oh no. So, so we were at was... Michael's house for Christmas that year, and I said, oh, you guys, I made fruitcake just like Grandma Beverly. With we brandy. sliced it up. <laughs> And everybody took a bite, and all of us, again, too bad there's no visual, but everybody gagged. <laughs> <laughs> this is awful. Everybody spit it out. Oh. And I was just dumbfounded. I said, but, Dad, I did exactly what you described. And he said, okay, tell me that again. How did you do the brandy? And I said, glug, 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 glug. He said, a tablespoon. <laughs> every second or third day, not every day. Oh, so man. we threw that fruitcake oh. out in Mike's backyard and he said the birds never ate it they just <laughs> flew away they didn't even want it so the next Christmas the Chicago Tribune published they always have good recipes in that paper yeah 
a Scottish shortbread recipe. So I thought, okay, I heard him talk about her shortbread. Let's try that. And I was successful there. So so you never returned to the to the drunken uh, fruitcake. Fruitcake no. again. And I do, I must be one of the few, <clears throat> the few people in the world who like fruitcake, but I do when it's made properly. <laughs> uh, I do love the fact that... Uh, that it's just sat there and stewed. I mean, it must have been pretty potent by the time. And heavy. <laughs> really heavy. Because <laughs> the, the yes, cake had absorbed all that. It. Oh, my God. Yes, for solid rocket. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And now I have another That's good. story That's for good. you. Um, I was pretty little, maybe five or six years old. And every time I met somebody new, usually, I mean, an adult, mm-hmm. and they would find out that my family, they, there were 12 kids. Um, so there weren't even 12 kids yet. If I was like five or six, yeah. you guys weren't born yet. Right, right. Um, I was sure that we were the holy family. <laughs> Don't marry. You know, that I told somebody we were the holy family. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, when people find out we have 12 kids or 10 kids, whatever it was, they say your mother must be a saint. <laughs> That's it's Jesus, what... Mary, and Joseph. They're the holy family. We are not the holy family. <laughs> That's great. Your mother must be a saint, which, you know. She wasn't. You could make, you could make a, an argument that she yeah. certainly had virtues, but no, she was Oh, no my saint. God. That's an awesome story. I love that. For the holy family. Um, did, uh, did you have any other ones? Because I have a follow-up question. When you... One other one, and I, this one you probably heard too, but our older brother, Bill was very kind to his little sisters. Oh, good. And so he, we had a, a, a jig into which you could put your ice skates, and there was a sharpening stone. I remember that. And he would sharpen our skates for us. Yeah, ice skates. Ice skates, yeah. 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 And so there, in the boot box in the front hall closet at Mom and Dad's house, there were two pairs of double-bladed mm-hmm. small children's skates. So Mary and I would put those on at home and walk to the pond. Oh, <laughs> Down, you know, the, down the street. Down the street. Ruining the blades. Ruin the blades. So he would have just sharpened them <laughs> two days later. Wait. Billy, would you sharpen the skates? I just sharpened those <laughs> skates for you. You're supposed to carry your skates to the pond. You oh. sit on the bench in there with that black rubber yeah. coating on it, and you bang, you put your foot on there and tighten your skates. You don't walk to the pond with your ice skates on. <laughs> Which is what? Two, three blocks away. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe four. Either way, yeah. not good for the blade of the skates. Was the warming house there when you were a kid? Yes. Or was that later? Yeah, the yeah. warming house was. And I can still smell that rubber coating on the bench. Yeah. Hot chocolate and popcorn. They sold hot chocolate, popcorn, later candy bars. Many of us worked there for the Lombard Park District. Oh, see, I never did. Um, and I worked in the warming house, or the, or the not the warming house, but the... Uh, the um, a little tiny hut at the top of the toboggan run at Peter Hoy. Oh, I didn't know there was yeah. a hut there. Yeah, well, it, it was a little box, basically. Right. It was a place for you to be out of the wind. Yeah. And, uh, and you could um, really, they would put their toboggan in place, and there would be a little uh, arm that sat up. And now I'm doing the gestures, like Joan just said. There was a little arm, a little wooden arm maybe six inches high, that blocked the toboggan from going down the hill until everyone was seated. And then I would pull a lever, and the, the arm would drop down, and off they would go. Oh, they didn't have that much technology when, yeah. I, when I was there. <laughs> and uh, I got paid for doing that. thought Whoa. that was a pretty good gig, yeah. Awesome. But we all, re- we all remember skating at the Lombard Lagoon. Some of us constantly. Dennis, yes. Dennis and Dave, I know, were big, big skaters. Danny liked it. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I remember... 
my recollection being that any day that it wasn't raining after school, we'd come home, change our clothes, and go to the pond until you know it was dark in the in the winter or all year round. Just in the winter. Just in the winter. Okay. Skating. Okay. Yeah. I thought you said when you said if it wasn't raining, I thought maybe oh, yeah. like even in the summer. No, but I, in the winter, you know, when you, yeah. sometimes it's warm enough, it's raining. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to go ice skating in no, the rain. That's that was, not a lot. That'd of fun. be miserable. Um, that was also my introduction uh, to fishing. Dave. Oh Dave yeah. Took me fishing there, so that that was a great Gosh. great place for that. Um, you said a minute ago that you thought we. We, we must be the holy family. Um, my recollection was that large families were not unusual at Sacred Heart. They were not. Um, would you say, and, and again, because of your position in the family, you have a better perspective on this than I do, because I was coming along, well, at the tail end of, the, of our you know, list of children, but also at the tail end, I think, of that huge family uh, uh, Phenomenon. Phenomenon. Thank you. That's yeah. a much better word than what I was trying to come up with. Yeah. In other words, that, that not long after I grew up, the number of large, large families diminished, dim, diminished, diminished significantly. Yes. Um, did you get the sense that our experience as members of a big, big family was pretty typical of other large Catholic families that yes. we grew up around? I would say so. I remember um, I had sis, Sister Alessio in first grade, Sister Gabriel in second grade. I don't remember which teacher did this, but at one point, beginning of the school year, um, the teacher said, um, well, let's see how big everybody's families are. So if you, everybody stand up. Now, if you have, there's only one child in your family, you can go ahead and sit down. Let's see who's still standing at the end. Sure. And five, six, seven, eight kids, plenty of kids still standing. Um, After what number? There were there was the Danics were the only family at Sacred Heart when I was in grade school that had twelve kids, but seven, eight, nine, ten kids was not uncommon, yeah. not at all. Well, the Schmitz had eleven or twelve, but they were younger than me. They were younger. Okay, yeah. the Westerkamps had Jim, ten. ten, ten, and they were younger and they than were, me. They were were they Sacred Heart? Yeah, yeah, they Sacred Heart. And I think um, their oldest was Anne's age. Okay. There yeah. might have been one uh, older John, than her. Was it John or Tom? Tom. No. Tom was the oldest. And yeah, he would have been either Ann's age or a year ahead. Yeah. John. Um, the Definos had, you're right though, Joan, I think they only had seven or eight. Yeah, so that was small. That was small potatoes. When I met the Isos, Jean said to me one later, she said, I always thought we had a big family. We had five kids. <laughs> and then Jim brought you home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you already mention the Janics? How many did they have? I think they, they wound up with eight or nine. Oh, okay. But when they be. were living across the street from mom and dad, I think they had maybe five or six. Okay. Um, Christine, Stephen, Terry, Michael, Robin. How about the Vasakis? They had a pretty good, didn't they? I don't they? know. I no? think they only had four or five. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> huh? With their cousins? Oh, maybe no. cousins. Okay. Not a sacred heart. I, uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I swear if I, if I rack my brain, I can come up with a couple of others. But it was not unusual for there to be eight or nine or more. Correct. Yeah. Um, uh, and and then, the, then the other follow-up I wanted to have is that you, uh, obviously you grew up, as, as we all did, in the, in, the, in the parish and went to Catholic school. Most of us went to 12 years of Catholic school. A couple of, the, a couple of us went off to the public school at some point in high school. Uh, you then married a Catholic high school teacher and have remained up until he, I assume Jim retired, what, two years 19, ago? 2019. So four years so ago. So four years ago. Wow, time flies. <laughs> uh, but 
as such, you were still pretty well woven into the Catholic high school uh, uh, structure. Culture, I mean, you yeah. went to a lot of events, you knew a lot of the people, and so on. Uh, what was your What was your experience with how Montini specifically? Uh, how the experience, say, for a kid in 2018 or 2019 at Montini would compare to the kids that you went to school with in 1970 and 71? Well, that's a good question. I would say the, the biggest difference would be in the um, financial status of the families. When Jim and I were at Montini, for the most part, everybody's parents struggled to send their kids there. Wow. Even though it was... $125 a year. $125 was the tuition. But I can remember Dad sitting at the kitchen table paying bills on Saturdays, his head in his left hand, and, you know, looking at all these, the doctor bills and, the, you know, how is he, how much can he spend for each? So yeah. I believe it was the same all the way through. He would pay our tuition, but we bought our uniforms, our books, activity fees, all of that was on us. Wow. Okay. So uh, my babysitting money. I'll let you finish that thought, and then I, I ask you about yeah. that too. Okay. Right. So we and so it was very unusual. So in that context, everybody's families were struggling to send their kids there, but that was their focus. Yeah. And as as I progressed through that experience, and now Jim's teaching there, a lot of kids got cars for their sixteenth birthday, oh, yeah. and um, <coughs> that was that was a a big difference. Yeah. The the. The commitment of the teachers and the staff, I didn't feel was significantly different from the time I was there till yeah. the time Jim was teaching That's there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, was the faculty composition uh, more skewed towards the lay teachers, or was it yeah. still primarily? Okay. Yeah. When, when we were there, it was mostly... Um, nuns and brothers. Right. Dominican nuns and Christian brothers. Okay. And there were lay staff there, but yeah. they were the minority. Yeah. By the time Jim was teaching there... The religious were the minority. Interesting. Yeah. And that's not unusual. The Catholic Church has had a, a fall off in vocations, as they are called. Oh, yeah. Um, so, of course, that would be reflected in that. Um, I have a story, a, a uh, quick segue. Okay. During um, the Second Vatican Council in the early 1960s, mm -hmm. um, Dad was very concerned because so many priests and nuns were leaving religious life, yeah. and he was very concerned what would happen with the church. And I remember him telling me that he had talked with his sister, Sister Louise, yeah. Sister of Providence, about that and shared his concerns with her. And she said to him, Thomas, most of those people never should have been in religious life. Oh, wow. They were trying to escape something. There was something in their lives that wasn't working right, and they thought they could hide or be safe in the religious life. And now with, with this opening up of a lot of the rules and regulations, the people who never should have been here will go. Wow. And so, what? Sister Louise's twin, was it Anne that taught her? Trisha. <laughs> yeah, the Sisters of Providence had a, um, a wimple. Well, the wimple was the fabric that wrapped their chin and pushed their faces forward. Yeah. And then, but there was also, a, it looked like a big visor. A visor, yeah, yeah. And are... it stuck forward probably three inches. I remember. So their peripheral vision, those nuns, I don't know how they saw what <laughs> kids were doing. But when Patricia was pretty little, I remember mom telling me that Louise was talking to her, had bent down to talk to her, and Trisha looked, and she was looking at this thing around her face, sure. and she pulled it right off. <laughs> I pulled it off her head. 
Yeah. And she wasn't supposed to. Because she wanted to see her face, yeah. I think. Yeah. She wanted to see if it was part of her skin. Right. Uh, and she yeah. wasn't supposed to be seen in public without that on, I bet, right? Oh, no, they never were. Yeah. Mm-mm. So Trish just ripped it off. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, that's a story you may not have heard. When Jesse was born, Sister Louise came to visit us at our house. We were on 14th Street in Brandywine, and Sister Kay was with her. They never traveled alone. Mm, the nuns couldn't. That's good. And so the two of them were sitting on the couch in our living room there, and I said, would you like to hold the baby? And she said, oh, honey, I couldn't. I've never held a baby. Wow. And I was stunned. You've, all of us, you've never held a baby? No, they wouldn't let us hold a baby. They thought it would make us want one of our own. And I said, well, you're holding this one. You, won't, you can't drop them. Yeah. It won't hurt you. Okay. They thought we'd want one of our own. Yeah. Well, heaven forbid they'd want it. And when she went into the order, Kevin, 1936, she was just graduated from high school, she had to tell the order which parent's funeral she would attend because they were allowed to go to one. What? Why? So here you are, an 18-year-old young woman. Picking one parent's Which funeral parent to attend. Did pick? Why did they have that rule? Because they didn't want too much contact with the outside world. Wow. I don't know that that was the, the rule in every order, but it was the rule for the Sisters of Providence. Wow, that's harsh. Yeah. Yeah. That is really not so mid 60s when she came to our house for christmas that was huge yeah i bet that was huge and the one year and she's she had the shorter habit on but she's in a small veil yeah 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 but that one year the christmas tree fell on her (laughs) i remember that too um the question i was going to ask you was back to no that's okay these are good i like all these uh Back to the comment you made about dad paid the tuition, but we paid for our, our supplies and our fees and such. I, I'm not in any way prepared to refute that, but I don't remember having to pay uh-huh. our stuff. So that kind of speaks to this thing that Bill brought up the other night when I was talking to him about the difference in, uh, in experience, right. life experience between the older siblings and the younger ones. Um, and I, I mentioned this to you a minute ago. He said that uh, one night he came back from... I believe he came back from college at NIU, or maybe he was done with college and was already out working. Anyway, as he, he was out of the house. And he came back one night to see something or ask Dad a question or whatever. And he got into the kitchen. Ann and I were doing the dishes. He said, I wasn't happy about something. Go figure. <laughs> and uh, uh, he asked where... I'm sure you were trying to explain to Ann why she was wrong, whatever it was. <laughs> No, Ann and I got along famously every day of our lives. Except fishing. <laughs> yeah, no, and canoeing. Uh, and, and anyway, Bill said, where's Dad? And one of us told him that he had gone to pick Jimmy up from football practice. And Bill was astonished to learn that Jimmy got rides to practice because, you know, they, they could walk, hitchhike, ride a bike, uh, find a friend, whatever, but they, they weren't driven to any activities. No. Um, so it's, it's possible that he finally had the wherewithal to go ahead and pay all of the costs by the time Ann, Kevin, and Jimmy came around and, yeah. and didn't have to have that, uh, that requirement. Right. Um, and that would be an offshoot of the false impression I had that your, your role as a parent ended when your child was 18. <laughs> oh. Because the, the rule when I was finishing high school was... You, if you're working, you can still live at home. Mm-hmm. If you're not working, out you go. Out you go, and or going or going to college or going to college. Yeah, correct. And I, I didn't know what I wanted to study in college, so I didn't go. Yeah, and uh, 
So I got a job and I moved away from home at 17. And I, you know, if, if mom or dad ever said anything to me about, well, you shouldn't do this or that, I would think, well, I'm on my own. I'm an adult. I I'm 18. It. Well, and well, it, actually, to defend that, though, if you were paying your own rent and your own groceries and, and your own transportation, yeah. you, were a, you were an independent yeah. creature. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do have to say one thing about that. First of all, it, it is, I think it's in all of our DNA to think that. You know, I think I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I had a lot of that in my, in my mind too. Um, and that, and, but the other part you said, if you were working, you could stay at home. If you weren't working and weren't going to college, Nobody did that. You, you, yeah, you shouldn't be uh, just leeching off your parents. No. They and, were right about that. Right. And, but nobody, n- nobody that I observed had done that. Right. Right. So, they right. all picked one or the other. So, in fact, on. then, and Kevin and Jimmy now are in late grade school and into high school, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have to feed all those older kids. They're <laughs> out. <laughs> his so bills, he, his he, bills have come way down. I'm sure they had. Yeah. <laughs> so he, uh, go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. Finish the thought. So he could allow us to... So he could support you more financially yeah. 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 than he had been able coach. to do for the older What's ones. What's that? Except for a sport coat. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I might use that for my story that a lot of them don't know. Um, the, 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 the fun fact that I'll throw in here, because it ties directly to what you're talking about, is that uh, college was also on your own dime. And uh, I went to NIU my freshman year. I, I paid my way and paid for my room and board in the dorm. I worked in the cafeteria where the ladies would give me first crack at the at the new pan of brownies when they came out of the oven or Woo-hoo! whatever. So, so I had a great job there. <laughs> and I found out you could eat as much as you wanted. And I finished growing. I, I was pretty small and skinny when I finished high school, but I put on the rest of my growth my freshman year at NIU because they gave you all the food you wanted. Um, but my sophomore year, I was an RA, so I paid my own way there. And then junior year, got a, uh, an apartment with a buddy, Jim DeFino, and on and on. My senior year, Dad was pleased with my progress. He was happy that I was doing well in school, and I seemed to be uh, thriving. And I want to say might have been three times, but certainly twice that school year, he, on either one of my visits back home or when he came out to drop me off for the next semester, handed me a $100 check. What? Yes. True story. Wow. I, I know of two. It might have been three. Wow. And, and I know a lot of people probably wouldn't have known that. I did not expect it. I was thrilled to pieces. And he just basically said, uh, more or less, keep up the good work. And I wish we could do more for you, but here's what I can give you. And, you know, my rent, I was paying my rent. I was paying my groceries. That hundred bucks in 1980, uh, no, 70, I'm sorry, 80, 80, 81 or 82 was a load of dough. Yeah, a lot of money. It wasn't near enough, but it was a big, big help. Man. And uh, he he did that for me a wow. couple of times because he could. Wow! Now I did an interesting, very unscientific survey. Okay. And it does tie into this very subject. Um, we all started working early. You guys had paper routes. Oh yeah. Um, Caddying. I babysat snow, starting babys- in sixth grade. Shoveling snow, raking with that, that fifty cents an hour that I made babysitting. Mm-hmm. I bought my first pair of contact lenses, and at that time it was a hundred fifty dollars. Whoa! I was a freshman in high school. I just finished my freshman year. That's a lot of money. That was a lot of money. I but there were so many families that had so many kids. There was always babysitting to be done. So <laughs> yes. I 
you know, that was not a problem. So I was very curious. With my first earned money, I walked to the Dairy Queen and got a large ice cream cone. Nice. And walked home, and I couldn't finish it. <laughs> Too much so ice cream. <laughs> I'm walking north on Main Street, and I got to the Orphan Annie house. Little Orphan Annie, the beautiful white Victorian with a cupola at the top. Oh, my gosh. I, architecture never spoke to me, so oh, okay. I, I didn't care. St. <laughs> Charles Road and then Grove. Right, right. And before you got to the Great Western Tracks mm-hmm. on the east side of Main Street, there Do were some it. beautiful big old houses. Okay. So okay. I got that far, and I <laughs> I couldn't finish it, so I tossed it into the bushes at the Little Orphan Annie house. <laughs> and the next time that guy went out to mow his lawn or trim his bushes, he went, what heck? the? Why is our so bush going So I asked my siblings... Not all in a group, but, yeah. you know, individually. What did you buy with your first earned money? And with the exception of Patricia, every one of us bought food. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't remember because, as you just said, Joan, we were starting to earn money from, if possible, first or second grade, I think, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. You know, well, if you would shovel people's driveways. Shovel a driveway or walk the dog or whatever. I know I had a paper route as soon as I could ride my bike. Um, (laughs) Jim is pantomiming a funny story about my caddying money and coming back from White Hen. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if my first purchase might have been food. Uh, It also could have been, if I'm I'm trying to recall, it could have been something like baseball cards or or Uh something like that. If it came with gum. If it came with gum, that's true. Uh, But yeah, we were, if, if we wanted money, go earn it. Yeah. That was that. But a favorite story of Jim's and mine, we were married, living on St. Charles Road, mm-hmm. just east of Elizabeth Street. Right on the way to the country club. Yeah. And uh, so, and our apartment was on the street side of the building. Yeah. So we heard a, phew, fit, hey, you guys. And we went out on our balcony, and here's Kevin and Jimmy riding their bikes. They With their um, caddying money, they had stopped at the White Hen at the end of the block, and you had you were riding no handed with two with a donut in each hand, and so we're chatting away and you're chatting away and all of a sudden there's a car pulling out of a parking space yeah. whatever and you were going to have to hit the hooks pretty quick so you took a look at each donut and pitched the one that already had bites out of it, moved the other one to to your left hand so you could pull on the brakes with your right hand. It's like I'm not getting rid of a whole donut if I can help it. No. Why would, yeah, you you got damage control here. Yeah. Minimize your cut your losses as best possible. And try not to grab that front brake or you'll go flying over the handle. Right. A lesson which I painfully learned some years later. Yes. But that's another story for another <laughs> another day. But yes, there's uh there's uh a universality of that phenomenon from probably I think Dave did not caddy. Dennis, not in my recollection. No, Dennis did some. Mm-hmm. Danny, Kevin, and Jimmy caddied a lot. Yeah. Did um, Ann do any caddies? They no, didn't they didn't, they didn't want girl caddies. No, they didn't want girls. No. And, uh, but yeah, we got, uh, you know, and then, and then the longer you were a caddy, the, you advanced from a B caddy to an A caddy to an honor caddy, and the pay went up, and you would get better at it, so you would get better tips. So you had your base pay went up, and you could get better tips. Woo. And as you got big enough and strong enough, you could carry a double and I yeah, would have Kevin, a, you were always so skinny. Oh, it must have, you must have been dragging those bags. <laughs> I, I was so beat after carrying a double. Oh but, but you would have, yeah, you'd have two guys 
both hit their drive. One sliced it to the right and one hooked it to the left, and you had to give this guy his club when he got to the ball and decided which club he wanted, and then hoof it over to the other side of the fairway and give him his club, go back and get the one the other guy was up to. Oh, yeah. my God. It was a lot of work. We, we grew up not afraid of hard work. Yeah. We all did, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and, but I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the game of golf, but I also learned a lot about people. I found out that some people with lots of money are really, really nice. And some, some people are royal jerks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, boy, that money, you know, having that money in your pocket that you earned was a really yeah. satisfying feeling. And you also learned the value of a dollar. And to this day, we all know that. I have three good stories about Harriet having our backs and we didn't have a clue. Harriet having our backs and we didn't have a clue. Okay. Right. Um, Patricia babysat. For yeah. the Kellys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's awesome. <laughs> and these boys were awful. Oh. They were awful. And I remember she came home one time after having sat with these kids, and she said to Mom, I, I can't handle these kids. I hate they're, they're terrible. You know, one of them fell out of a tree and broke his arm. <laughs> I don't ever want to go back there. And Mom said to her, you don't have to. You can say no. Okay. That's story number one. I was stunned by so that. She was, you, you were surprised that mom said it's okay to say no. Yeah, I would have thought she said, well, suck it up. You need that job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just observed a minute ago there were a lot of families who needed it. There were. Maybe, and maybe that was mom figured you could bounce off, you yeah. know, bounce off that one and go to the next. So now fast forward, and I'm in high school, and Jim and I had been dating for a while, and he broke up with me. Mm. For a beautiful young Hispanic woman, she was gorgeous. I never knew that. Right. That's here we go. So you haven't Three heard weeks. the story. Three weeks. So, so I was just beautiful indiscretion. I was just heartbroken, and I was walking around all day. I was in tears and just miserable. And mom finally said to me, and I, I wasn't going to ask mom about it. No. What would she know? What would know? she know? And she said, "I want you to remember one thing: you don't own anybody." And nobody owns you. Wow. And even at that age, I was probably 15, I thought, huh, I didn't even tell her what was wrong. How did she know that? <laughs> did she intuitively figure it out? Or had yeah. she heard, oh, she hadn't overheard anything? Or... No, not that I know of. And She what knew was... that the, 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 probably I, I one crying. of the few things that could really upset a 15-year-old girl would be a boyfriend. a boyfriend. Right. And I tell the girls at school all the time, he's not worth it. Right. <laughs> I, was. I I thought that was great advice that she gave me. You don't is, know yeah. anybody. And and they don't you. know you. They don't know you. I like that. And then the third one was, um, gosh, darn it. I just had it. Oh, so now I'm 17, out of high school. I've moved away from home. And a boy that I really didn't want to have any connection to was calling Mom and Dad's house trying to see if I would go out with him. Uh-huh. And he asked is Joan home? And, my, and mom said, no, she's moved out. Oh, can you give me your phone number? And she said to him, if she wanted you to have her phone number, you'd have it already. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and the best mom story, and I bet most people do know this one, but she got a, an obscene phone call one time. I don't even know when this was. <laughs> but the phone at mom and dad's house was in the kitchen back in those days there was one phone in the household and it was always in the kitchen so you couldn't have private conversations so whichever one of our siblings heard this end of mom's conversation i don't remember who it was but they told us that she was she said hello and her whole demeanor changed and she had a frown on her face (laughs) she said if you can hold it in one hand i'm not interested click (laughs) what (laughs) 
What? Oh my gosh. That is that is uh, like almost artistic. It's poetic in its in its in its uh, uh, harsh uh, uh, rebuke of yeah. this of this creep. If you can hold so it in she one hand, she I'm had her gentle parenting, apparently. But that wasn't one of her kids that said it. So. Right, right. That's that is. I you know I should write that one down. That's yeah. pretty good. Also, what our mother did, um, some photo press event. Uh, all the wives and the guys who worked at Photo Press were at a performance. Buddy Hackett was on tour. Oh, cool! So they went to see Buddy Hackett, and his 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 show was quite dirty. He worked blue. And our mother went up to him afterwards and said, "How dare you do that in front of all of these women? These these men work very hard, and we're their wives. And how dare you be so rude?" <laughs> She said this to Buddy Hackett. To Buddy Hackett. How did she I, even gain an audience with him? I have no him? idea. The Pope. Hmm? The Pope. <laughs> okay, last one. <laughs> we'll end on the Pope. This should be good. Yeah. So now Mom has moved back up from Florida, and she's living at Mays Lake. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Her dementia had begun. It wasn't... She still recognized us. She knew where she was. It was just, you know, she was forgetting mm-hmm. things. So she had heard... Too many stories about pedophile priests, mm. and she was very upset about it, as mm-hmm. we all have been. And so she said to me that she wanted to write a letter to the Pope, and did I know his address? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I th- yeah, yeah, I think if you send it to Vatican City, Rome, Italy, it'll get to him. So she wrote a letter and told him that marriage is a gift from God. And, you know, she and her husband had had many happy years together, and they had this wonderful family, and you should allow priests to be married. That's uh, all there is to it. Oh, okay. And about three months later, she was ticked off, and she said to me, do you know I never heard back from him? <laughs> I said, pope, well, how rude, Mom. The Pope never answered your Never mother? got back to her. Not even one of his lackeys. <laughs> the Holy Family? Well, you know that's that's pretty good. I guess I guess if you wrote on the envelope the Pope, yeah. Vatican City, Italy. it would get there. I bet it probably because he may no, have he may have never seen it. Yeah, well, I think that's a pretty good. There's a pretty good chance. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the Vatican City has basically that's that's it. The the papacy and and, and it, it's a city state. It's, yeah. it's its own entity. That's awesome. He never wrote back. And one story I did share at Mom's funeral luncheon was. That I was in eighth grade, I think, and there was a, a group called YCS, Young Christian Students. Okay. And so there was a retreat house that we were going to be at, and there, um, the priest who was going to say that mass said that you know if some, uh, he was trying to get somebody to bring communion out there. Oh. And mom had offered to make some homemade bread to use, oh. just you know break the bread. Sure. And, Consecrate um, it. And I said to her, well, I don't think that Father's going to like that. It's not, it's not unleavened bread. Mm. And I, I said, I think he said it had to be leavened bread. And she said, you tell Father that this bread will work just fine. I believe the quote was, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You Go. tell Father it will be just fine. <laughs> Go, Harriet, quoting the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was astounded. She asked me one time about the books of the Bible and you know the order. And I said, no, I don't know the order of the books of the Bible. And she said, we're sending you to Catholic school. And I said, we don't study the Bible, Mom. We're Catholics. Because <laughs> she grew up Presbyterian. Yeah. And they did, and they study, did the Bible, study the Bible. But not so much in the Catholic She said, well, what do you study? I said, God made me to know, love, and serve him in this world and be happy with him in the next. The Baltimore Catechism. <laughs> And that that's what it. we study. That's what we study. And you, she was appalled. 
All right. Well, this has been a hoot, and uh, I've enjoyed every minute. Um, this will officially wrap up the interview portion of our program, and I will uh, get to work on making awesome. making these into podcasts. I want to tell one golf story on you before you listen. Oh, okay. Okay. Jim's got one. <laughs> one quick golf story. You already brought it up. Uh, Tom loved his golf and uh, tried to make me a golfer, and I'm not, wasn't a golfer. So he says, come on, we're going to take you out. So Tom and Kevin and Jimmy and I went to play at Kenlock, Kenlock a Park. local Park District nine-hole course. And par three course. Yes, nice and it ran the first... The first fairway ran parallel to Finley Road. Mm-hmm. And a so, busy street. A busy street. So the, the four of us are waiting for the couple of little old ladies ahead of us. And they'd get up and they'd, boom, hit a nice iron shot about 70 yards, straight as a die. And then they'd walk and, boom, a nice 70 yards. <laughs> and so I'm watching this going, man, I'm, I'm going to nail this sucker. So they finally get off the fairway. So... We tee it up, and I'm going, okay. So I wind up, and I hit it, and boom, I hit a station wagon on Finley. <laughs> so, so it started badly. So, all right, all right. So the, other, so the other three played beautifully, of course. Well, Jimmy and Tom did. And, and so we get, to the, we get to the green, and uh, we're taking our turns putting, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm putting, so... I put it and, uh, and I hit a little too hard, of course, and it goes off the other end and down into a drainage di- tile. Oh! <laughs> and so I look over and Kevin. I said, "I said, what do I do? I can't play it. I know you're supposed to play where it lies. It's down in this tile." And Kevin says, "You take it out, you move it a club length, and you add five strokes." I said, "Okay." <laughs> so I said five strokes. Yeah. So we <laughs> we, we get we get to tally it up as we're walking to the second to the second tee. And what'd you shoot? Oh, I shot a six. Oh, I shot a five. I shot a four. And I said, I shot a 15. <laughs> and Tom, Tom goes, you did not shoot 15. I, was, I don't know what you shot, but it wasn't. I said, well, it was 10. And then it was the five-stroke penalty. And he looked over at Kevin and says, that idiot told you five strokes, did he? I said, well, yeah. Kevin and Jimmy got quite a laugh. That is good stuff. I don't even remember doing that, although I admire my style. You know, the five-stroke penalty. You know, we all know about that. Winter rules. The drainage ditch penalty. That's the five-stroke. Winter rules. Uh, All right, well, that is good stuff. That is good stuff. Wake up, smartphone. Why can't I get this thing? There we go. Okay, that's that's going to do it. No, that's good. I like that. Uh, That'll do it for tonight, and we'll, we'll see how this goes.